Almost in time. Almost in time. Sorry about that. Man, we are excited. Thank you. Welcome in. If you're joining us in person or in, online, man, we're so glad to have you at Lindsay Lane North. We get our, our sixth week in a row, we get the opportunity to start the second service off with baptism. And so we're just excited about what God is continuing to do in our people. And I uh, got to have an opportunity to talk to uh, Christina and Tyler a few weeks back. They've been attending for some time and wanted to join uh, our church and got the and through the course of conversation, Christina knew that she had a relationship with the Lord, but had not followed through in believers' baptism. So we're excited to be able to do that and celebrate uh, with the Lord through that. So Christina, come on. This is Christina Kaufman. <laughs> and so we're just we're excited to see how God continues to use uh, our, in our teenagers and young adults and, and at every age, we're excited to see how God is continuing to, uh, to work. But Christina, have you received Christ as our Lord and Savior? Amen. Well, because of that profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, washed in the blood of Jesus and raised in newness of life. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord, church, in prayer. Father, we thank you, uh, God, for the ordinance of baptism. God, we thank you for how encouraging, uh, Lord, it is just to see the example of Christina and to see her follow you uh, in believer's baptism. God, we, we know that her salvation was secure, but God, she wanted to identify herself in this body of believers, in your universal body. Uh, God, as your bride, and so, Father, as we get an opportunity to worship you now in this same attitude and the same spirit, God, I pray that you would be brought glory in everything that is done and said in this service. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. What is up, Lindsay Lane North? This is Will, and we are on location here at uh, a park in Tuscaloosa with Church of the Oaks. And I just want to take a quick second and say welcome, and uh, I want to introduce our worship leader for today. Uh, her name is Elizabeth Spencer. It is Aaron Spencer's little sister, and so he's going to love that. But hey, we are so blessed to have her with us, and uh, she's just a great friend. She's a great leader. She just accepted a job in Chattanooga. And so y'all go ahead and stand, and y'all give her a nice warm welcome, and y'all continue to pray for us. Well, good morning, everyone. Like I said, my name is Elizabeth Spencer, and I'm so excited to be here to worship with you all this morning. And as we go into a time of worship, I wanted to read from Scripture, and it says in 1 Peter 2, 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and this is our response this morning, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. So will you worship with me this morning? Oh, my friend. 
grateful to him he was and all my life you have been so so I wanted to share just a little bit about what God has been teaching me, especially through um, different worship songs that he's put in my path. And I wanted to read from Psalm 62, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then 5 through 8. And it says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. For him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. And this can be our response this morning, is to trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him, God is a refuge for us. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times I get so busy with the things going on in the world, um, things going on in my personal life that I forget that um, we don't have to just go, go, go all the time. That sometimes all God wants from us is to just sit back and rest in him so that he can sustain us. When we sit back, that's when we realize where our help comes from and where our refuge is. Um, so this morning, this song is called Lean Back, and you may not know it. Um, but it's a song that talks about that we have a loving father who just wants to hold us and embrace us and to love on us. And that's okay. Um, we don't always have to keep going. So this morning, if you're one of those people that just keeps going or maybe right now you've been leaning in his arms, um, we can worship and celebrate him for that this morning.
Father, we thank you for your love. Father, sometimes we just need to let that sink in. Father, I pray that today you will help us realize how deep your love is for us. We thank you for what your son did on that cross so that we could have eternal life with you, God. God, help us to appreciate that more. We thank you for you are so worthy of this time, and we thank you that we have the freedom to worship you. I just pray that as we go from our worship through music to worship through a message, God, that our eyes and ears will be open to what it is you have for us this morning. We just pray this on your name. Amen.
All right. We are it. We are here at the end. This is the last of our Untouchables series. So you have made it through the summer. If you're still sitting here, glad to, glad to have you still here. Uh, we have gone through some pretty intense stuff. Um, but man, we're excited to finish in the end. So our, the title of my message today is The End. If you are here and uh, this is your first time here, man, we are so thankful to have you. Uh, we, are, we are so thankful that you chose to worship with us today. I want to remind you, whether it's online or in person, uh, we have a connect card for you. Inside that bulletin is a way that you can let us know who you are, uh, communicate any decision that you make today. If you've got a prayer request on the back there, we would love to let you know. Uh, it's also on the initial post uh, on this, on Facebook or, or, or YouTube, wherever you are watching us, you can access our digital connect card. Let us know uh, if uh, you, there's anything that you need from us. We would love to follow up with that. And for you in person, you can drop that in the offering bucket on your way out the door today as you leave. And we would love to follow up with you, okay? Uh, turning your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. want to remind you too, you're going to hear this in announcement, but our family day is next week. Uh, so we as Lindsay Lane North, East and Maine and Athens, our, we have rented out the uh, Point Mallard Park, amusement park, next Sunday night. Uh, we have two free tickets for every family here. Uh, the rest of them are $10. Here's what we would ask Lindsay Lane North folks to do. I would ask that you not keep those two to yourself. Now, you're welcome. You, we're not going to hunt you down if you do, okay? But I would love for you to invite somebody with you, maybe someone that doesn't have a church, someone not connected uh, to a church in this community. Give that to a family that can come with you next week, and then you go ahead and pay. You can pay for as many tickets as you would like, and they're $10 a piece, so even they are at a discounted rate. But that's a lot of fun. We're going to have a blast with that. It starts at 6 o'clock next Sunday, so make sure that you sign up for that. The sign-up table is before you get to the next steps table. That first table you come to uh, is way to sign up for that, okay? But we are at the end. I've noticed something in church, churches, and I've noticed something just in the world in general. There is an obsession with end-time things. You don't have to go any further than whatever you use to stream movies and television to find series after series, movie after movie, all related to an apocalypse, right? Related to the end of the world. How's it all going to end for us, right? There's movies all over the place. And so, and in my dad's generation, it was movies like Mad Max and World of the World, War of the Worlds. Uh, for us, it was more, for my generation, more Walking Dead. And, you know, it came out like two weeks ago, Tomorrow's War uh, on Netflix. Like, I'm not endorsing any of these by any stretch of the imagination. What I'm telling you is the world is, is absolutely preoccupied with the end. And so today as we look at eschatology, all right, that is a big 
theological word. It literally means the study, ology, of end times, eschaton, right? The study of the end days. What we need to understand is as Jesus identified it, we are in the end days. And so I believe this to be an untouchable subject for a different reason. I believe it to be an untouchable subject because it is difficult for us to wrap our heads around. And so what have I decided to do? I've decided to preach it in one Sunday, right? So good luck to me. Um, we'll see how that goes. But, but it's important that we understand not just what we believe about the end times. And by the way, I am not sure what I believe about the end times. And we'll go get through some of that. So if I'm not sure, I doubt I'm going to be able to communicate to you in any convincing fashion something that you're going to be okay with to leave with. Um, what I am going to say is I believe God's word and I believe that it is something that I need to continue to study and continue to, to strive for. But understanding is not the primary reason Revelation exists in our Bibles. And so we'll get into that. But before we do, we need to kind of lay down some groundwork, all right? Lay down some groundwork. There are some parts that we need to talk about. There's three main parts when you talk about, there's more than this, there's a lot more than this actually, but three main things when you talk about end times generally that you discuss when you talk about what is it going to look like when Jesus comes back? What are the events of Revelation and Daniel and Isaiah and all of these other passages, some of the minor prophets, what are they talking about? First Thessalonians, what are they talking about when they talk about the end times? The first thing that we come to, the biggest thing, is the millennium. Revelation chapter 20, we'll be reading it in just a moment. We will see a millennial reign of Christ, that Christ is ruling on a throne. Now the question is, where is that throne? Right? Is that throne in heaven? Is that throne in earth? An all-millennial would say it's in heaven. Right? The, uh, the premillennial would say it's going to be on earth. Is it? When is it? When is it? Like, is it now? Is it happening now? Is it happening sometime in the future? How long is it going to be? Is it literally a thousand years? The Bible says a thousand years. But man, Revelation is full of stuff that is not meant to be understood directly as for what it is, right? There's some, there's some allegory and there's some symbolism there. Is this a symbol? But the millennium is the first thing. The second thing is the rapture and the tribulation. Now, this is what Kirk Cameron made his hay on, right? This is Left Behind. This is the Left Behind series, Tim LaHaye and uh, all of their, they, they are portraying, by the way, if you're familiar with that series, they are portraying a dispensational premillennial system. Um, and so that is, that is the set doesn't, may not mean anything to you, but the idea of tribulation in the seven years and all these things, this is the idea that they're getting at where there will be a seven year tribulation. There's going to be a rapture of the church, right? Where all of a sudden we're going to be hanging out with people. And all of a sudden there's just a bunch of pile of clothes hanging around, right? Hats and, and glasses and all that are just gone because we have been bodily raised. First Thessalonians four is where we get this idea. And it talks about it's first Thessalonians. Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. So jot that down if you'd like. When we talk about the rapture, it's not a revelation idea as much as it is a New Testament 1 Thessalonians idea. And it's open for interpretation of when this happens and what this is talking about. But 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17, I'll read it real quick. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and will sound with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
me, Mom, and Papa, that were believers, knew Christ. They, I believe, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. So the moment they receive Christ, the moment they, they pass, they were with the Lord. But there will be a time where the dead in Christ, those that have died, having relationship with Christ, their bodies will be raised. Right? This is the idea of teaching of rapture. Um, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are alive and remain, or who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord, right? You've got the rapture of the dead that had made decisions for Christ, that had a relationship with Christ. And then you have the bodily resurrection of those that are alive and remain, those walking around, right? And so this is the idea of the rapture. And so the question is, is this talking about a literal rapture like we've seen it depicted in movies or shows or what we've probably heard preached from time to time? Is this, is this what we're talking about or is it something else? Is there going to be a literal seven-year uh, tribulation, a, a testing, a, a, a judging of the church is, and then the third thing is, is it for the church or is it for Israel? In the Old Testament, you track verse after verse, promise after promise that God makes to Israel, right? And he makes it specifically to Israel. And we've talked at great length about the Old Testament serving to get us to Messiah. But then the question is, do some of those promises that we believe have end time ramifications, do they apply to people who are born Jewish? Or do they apply to something else? In Galatians 6, 16, you can write that reference down. Galatians 6, 16, Paul talks about something getting to this. He says, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon us and upon the Israel of God. So the Israel of God, he's writing to a church not full of a whole bunch of Jews. He's writing to a church that has Jews and Greeks. And what he's saying is, we are all of the Israel of God. This is, is my interpretation of that. But So what do these promises, what do these ramifications mean? Are we talking about the national Hebrew-born people of the Jews, of Israel? Or are we talking about the church? Because we know in the New Testament, we have been grafted in. It's no longer about abiding by a Jewish law. It is about the freedom that we have in Christ, and it's about receiving him by grace through faith. And so does that have ramifications in the end times? I don't know, right? I don't know. I don't know. So here's the thing. So, so we're dealing with things that we don't understand, but let's go ahead and take a turn, and let's get into what I would call in Lick Skillet the nitty-gritty of the issue, all right? Revelation chapter 20, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. Revelation 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. So that's clear. This dragon not at, may, must look like a dragon, but not necessarily a dragon. It is this representation of Satan, right? This is the devil. And he bound him for a thousand years. This is where we get the idea of millennium. It's a, it's a thousand years. So what, how do we interpret millennium? How do we interpret a thousand years? All right. Um, and it says, and he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. So his, what he was prevented from doing was deceiving the nation. So amillennials would say, well, yeah, well, he's, 
he's not deceiving the nations right now because more nations are coming to Christ. There are more, fewer and fewer unreached people groups in the world as the church progresses, right? And so, and so that would be their, their, their reasoning there. But he is not allowed to deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. Y'all hear the clear chronology of this now. The chronology is not necessarily an indicator of this is exactly how it's going to happen. This happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens, right? But if we're reading it chronologically, 19, all this has happened, and now 20, this is what happens to, to Satan in this millennial reign. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of the Lord and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or the hands. We see the incorporation of the mark of the beast. These are those that if you're taking a premillennial system, they went through the seven years, they didn't take the mark of the beast, they were persecuted, most more than likely killed. Um, but this was, this was what happened, Did, was that... The Jews, or is that Christians? Is that the church? Again, right? So the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So millennium. So we need to understand what we're talking about when we say the millennium. We need to understand the prominent views of this. All right? And kind of the, the middle ground between the two is amillennialism. All right? So on your notes, you've got a timeline. All right? That's down. Apparently I'm in a bad mood today. Writing. I'm depressed. All right. So every one of these systems start with the cross. Starts with Calvary. So go ahead and you can write that. There's a simplified version on your screen. It doesn't really give a ton of clarity, so we're going to walk through this. You can copy however you want. But if you can't read this, there it is. All right? I'm thought of you. All right. So every one of these systems start with what Jesus did for us on the cross. And then he, was, he died. He was buried. He was raised. And then he ascended into heaven. So really, this is when he goes to heaven, right? He, he ascends to heaven. An amillennial is the simplest of the systems, all right? They believe we're the present day. is where we're at right now. The amillennial system believes, but th here's what they believe. Ah means not or non, so there's not a millennium. Now, this is a very poor representation of this idea. They don't believe that there's not a, th a thousand year reign, a millennial reign of Christ. They believe that it is a symbol, that it's an allegory, and that we are in the millennium right now. All right, so we are living in the millennium. Well, gosh, Alan, how do you believe that? How can that be possible? Well, think about it. The church is, is growing. It is growing to other countries, right? It, the enemy is not given free reign over all of creation right now, that God is still on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. And so they see the kingdom... They see the kingdom 
and the church as existing together in this period, right? We as the church are on earth. Y'all like my church. That's, that's my, my favorite. Uh, we as the church are reigning under the lordship of the king. And so the kingdom is not necessarily, when it's talking about like a kingdom, they're saying this kingdom, this reign is not on earth, it's in heaven. And we know that God is reigning on the throne in heaven, right? And so they will live out this time until Jesus comes back. All right? Jesus will come back at some point. Now, many believe that the persecution will intensify, that it'll get worse, but Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's not establishing a thousand-year reign. That's premillennialism. He's not establishing a thousand-year reign. As soon as he comes back, he's establishing eternity. We are new heaven, new earth. Read uh, Revelation uh, 21 and 22. We are in eternity, baby. We are there, all right, with God forever. So when Jesus comes back, so the millennium is, is symbolic or it's, it's representing the period of time we're in now. This is present day, so Christ did what he did. We have the Holy Spirit and the church, and the church is existing and the kingdom of God is reigning, the kingdom of Christ is reigning in heaven. All right. There's a, this is a compelling argument. I'm never going to tell you what I believe, mostly because I don't know what I believe. Okay. Uh, I've been challenged in this area, but I'm going to tell you that's not the point to understand. I'm just telling you what they believe. This is uh, a middle of the line issue. This is one of the younger issues. The oldest issue that we have, the oldest way of of believing this is postmillennialism. Now, with amillennialism, what you have to do is if you read the Bible. If you read Revelation in chronological order, you can't arrive at this. You can't get here because it doesn't make sense. There's too many things going on. But here's what they do. They believe that Revelation is laid out much similar to a sermon. Where in a sermon, I may not present things chronologically, but I present them in a way to bring maximum encouragement or understanding or what have you. And so they actually believe Revelation should be read in cycles, right? Uh, and, and bottom line, what I've learned in first service is I'm not going to get through all this. So if you want my notes on this, I will e uh, email me, alan at lindsaylane, A-L-A-N at lindsaylane.org, and I will send you all I got, all right? But they believe it's read in cycles. And so the first cycle, Revelation 1 through 3, 1 through 3 is the age of the church. Revelation 4 through 7 is how the church will be victorious. So he starts off with, hey, here's the church. You're going to be victorious. And then he says, oh, by the way, the world will be punished, in, in uh, Revelation 8 through 11. In Revelation 12 through 14, the church is going to be persecuted. So, hey, I've already told you at the beginning, you win. You're great. You're doing good, right? It turns out okay for you, but you're going to endure some really difficult stuff. And so he details the persecution of the church. Then he details in uh, uh, 15 through 16, the final judgment. All of this, the, the evil being judged, the world being judged, the church being persecuted, all of this is going to lead to a final judgment where God pours out these bowls of wrath that we talk about. The Babylon's confusion, the confusion of all these pagan powers of what is real religion, like what, you know, how, how can you say that one religion is more legitimate than the other? All of that's going away, right, in the, in the sixth cycle, 17 through 19, and then the last three chapters, it is God's kingdom that is extended everywhere. Everywhere in created order, all in the heavens, 
God is king, right? So it's laid out not chronologically, but it's laid out by topic, right? It, it's a great argument. It's a, it's a compelling argument. And, and me, as a, as a student of God's word, it, it's, it's great. There's some, there's some scripture to that as well. Um, it talks about two ages, not three ages. So uh, premillennialism kind of splits it into three ages. You've got present day, you've got the millennium, you've got the t- thousand years, and you've got eternity. They split it up a little bit, but that's not the way uh, that the millennials see it. But scripture, many of us, we have references of Jesus saying that you will have this in this age and in the age to come. Two ages, not three, Right? Um, they believe in one resurrection of believers and unbelievers from the dead. They don't believe in split resurrection, whereas we'll get there. All right, post-millennialism, sorry. All right, post-millennialism. Got your second timeline. Post meaning after, right? So this is relative to when Jesus returns. So relative to when Jesus returns, he is going to turn, they believe he's going to return after the millennium. So we start with the cross, this is Jesus, the finished work of Christ on the cross, right? And then premillennialism, or excuse me, postmillennialism believes that this is the church age, right? So we are in the church age. Congratulations, the church, right? So Christ came, he gives us the Holy Spirit, we live, we are to propagate the world with the gospel. This is the church age. What they say is Matthew, he wasn't kidding about Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He said, go ye therefore into all the world, right, baptizing and teaching. The post-millennial system believes that we will fully accomplish, God will fully accomplish the Great Commission through us. And so the church will grow and grow and grow and grow until one day where they reach a golden age of the church, right, Similar to the kingdom, right? They will, there will be a golden age. Now, this is different than the premillennial system because Jesus isn't actually on the earth, right? He's still in heaven, so it's similar to amillennialism this way. But he is, but there is a golden age of the church where there are so many Christians, it's so popular to be a Christian that the opponents of Christ are so small and so insignificant that everybody is pursuing Christ in obedience to Christ, right? And so they will have this golden age of the church is what you hear in the, in the post-millennial system. And then Jesus comes back. So once we have fulfilled the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus, we have this golden age, whether it's a thousand years or it's a symbol, they're not really sure, they all differ on that. But then Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, then we enter eternity. This is new heaven and new earth. This is Revelation 21 through 22. Holy smoke. All right. All right. So that is the post-millennial system. Now, the post-millennial system was the oldest system. Now, you got to think about it. When the church was really growing, right, uh, they believed that they would... That, that, that this would absolutely happen, right? Think about the Roman Catholic Church. Why did they establish a whole government system around the church? We look at that and go, well, that's probably not a great idea. Well, they... We're believing a post-millennial system. They were establishing a kingdom that was pious and that was ruled by God and man collectively, right? They were trying to usher in this golden age. Uh, the Puritans, when, when they came over to the new world, 
they had a new work in front of them. There's such an opportunity to evangelize and there's such an opportunity to start a new world that can invade the whole world. When these movements would happen, post-millennialism would flourish, right? Because it's getting better. We live in a day where things a lot of times are getting worse, right? And so the post-millennialism was the best example. So what they actually did, and you should follow this historically, post-millennialism is like, man, it's not getting better, y'all. Like, we're not, it's not getting, not getting better. And, and, and they, there's plenty of argument, there's plenty of merits to it. Um, but they created, all millennialism really created out of post-millennialism. Think about it. The present day... This is the millennium. The millennium is still before Christ. So they're still post-millennials, right? But they were like, well, it's not getting better. So how do we reconcile this? Well, it's actually going to be a time of suffering in the present day. It's a time the church is going to be grinding. It's going to be hard. And then Jesus shows up, right? And so they just adapted their system. The newest system, 1830, which sounds like a long time ago, not long ago in church history. 1830, man by the last name of Darby created premillennialism, you know, created, he, he interpreted scripture to get premillennialism. And it's, and it's really what we know most today, we recognize today. There's a split in premillennialism, there's historical and dispensational premillennialism. Um, what, all you need to know about that is some, the, the historical believe that the promises are made to the church, so the church has kind of taken over those promises of Israel. Dispensational kind of believes that the church, every non-Jew, right, is, is going to be handled before the rapture. And then all the Jews are going to be handled after the rapture in the, in the seven-year tribulation. So they're a little different, but we ain't got time for it, all right? So it starts with Jesus, right? All of these start with the cross, All right, that's important. Jesus comes and he ascends, right? Then, as you see up on our, our screen here, we have the age of the church. All right, you have the age of the church on your timeline. I'll do this because you are here. All right, we are in the age of the church. This is where we are. This is what premillennialism teaches, right? And so the, the, this is when the, the Holy Spirit is, has invaded believers, right? And they are going in the power of Christ. They are growing. They are making a difference. They are charging hell with a water pistol, whatever you want to say. Things are going to go poorly though. And then you find yourself in the tribulation. All right. So right here, there'll be a time where the church is raptured. The church is taken away. The church is caught up. If First Thessalonians 4 is referencing a rapture, this is, this is when that takes place, right? And so you're hanging out with your buds, and all of a sudden you have less buds there, and you have all their clothes, right? And so, and so if that's happening, if there's a bodily rapture, that the church is taken away. When the church is taken away, now this is pre-trib. Y'all don't care about that, right? All right. This is a diff this is there's there's other views of when the rapture actually happens, but then there is seven years. So we will call, we'll make a little line here. This is called the tribulation. And it is seven years. All right, so in the premillennial system, there is a seven-year tribulation. So the church is raptured. There's a seven-year tribulation. And at the end of the seven years, it looks bad, 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 really bad for a long time until. Jesus comes back, 
This is the second coming. This is when they teach is the second coming. So Jesus comes back, and then he doesn't, you don't immediately go into the new heaven and new earth. He establishes a thousand-year millennium. All right, I need a bigger board. Thousand years, and this is the millennium. All right, so he establishes a thousand years. At the end of the millennium, and this is when you read this, remember he said that there was a guy there, the, the, that Satan was bound for a thousand years, and then what did it say after that? He was let out for a little while. And so the clear chronological order would be, okay, so at the end of a thousand years, the enemy is let out, and it's really not much of a fight. The battle of Armageddon happens after the tribulation, He's defeated, and then, the, then Satan comes out, and he starts deceiving people again, and they try to establish some type of power, but God ultimately puts it down. And then, after the millennium, we have eternity. All right? So then the new heaven and the new earth come down after the end of the millennium. Whoo! Got that? Those are the three views, okay? Now, there are strengths and weaknesses to all three of them. All right, and I studied it at great length. Um, and like I said, if you want my notes on it, I'll give it to you. If you want, uh, if you want a copy of the systematic theology works that I was using, I can help you with that. Like we can have conversation about these things. But here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to hear. This is not something that should divide the church. It's difficult to understand. I don't know what's allegory, I don't know what's symbolism, and I don't know what is. Maybe you should read Revelation straight through and take it for chronological value. Maybe you should see it as an amillennial, and you should see it as we are living in the kingdom of God, as he's reigning in heaven right now, and we are in, in, on earth as his representatives as the church. I don't know where I fall. I'm probably, just so you know, I'm probably between somewhere between amillennialism and premillennialism right now. I just, I don't know, but here's what I can tell you. Churches have split over this. Whole denominations have formed as a result of this. And what we need to understand is this is secondary in importance. Understand you know, there's, there's, there's an argument made, all millennialism, why? If this is true, then how do you explain the first resurrection, which everywhere in scripture, resurrection means a bodily resurrection. How do you, how do you, how can you say that the people are resurrected, but they're just living in heaven with God in the millennium? It's always a earthly bodily resurrection. It's what Jesus did when he died. He was resurrected. That's the same word. Anastasis is the same word used there. And so they've got questions to answer. Post-millennialism, it's very, very crunched. You got things like practically the world's not getting better, right? The world, Christianity in a lot of ways is declining. Now it's going to more people, but true committed Christ following, following is, is, is on the decrease. And then you have premillennialism. And premillennialism is great, but how do you explain these people? Why would Jesus show up, defeat everybody except a few, and then allow them to live and populate the earth to a small extent? Where, where do they come from? Like, where did these nations that now, the beast, how can glorified Jesus reigning on earth, setting up his reign, how can people actually not follow that Jesus? 
right? How could people make the, the assumption that there's a better way we're waiting on this beast to get out? All of these have issues. You know what I think about? I think about the walk to Emmaus. You remember the walk to Emmaus where the two men were walking and Jesus shows up and they don't know it's Jesus. Jesus has died and he is resurrected, but not everybody knows, has known that he's resurrected. And so these are followers of Jesus. They don't recognize it's Jesus. And you know what he tells them? You know what he calls them? He calls them fools. He says, you fools, did you not have all of the Old Testament to tell you how Messiah would come? You fools, you have misinterpreted. You know what I believe? I believe we'll never get true clarity on this until we've got hindsight on it. I don't think you're going to have all millennials raising a big fuss when they're being raptured up to be present with the Lord. Even while well, this doesn't fit my eschatological system, I'm not going to do it. I'm staying right here, Lord. You know, like, I don't think this is going to happen, right? Any of these systems that I decide to champion, I will change at a moment's notice. I loved what someone said on Twitter. She said, I'm not willing to die on any hill that doesn't resemble Calvary. Man, that's exactly how we should view the end. It's not about the minutia of the details. Now, I think we need to study it, y'all. I'm not saying it's not important. But I'm saying it's not the most important thing. Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 2 when Jesus left? Do you remember what happened? Jesus left. If you're not careful, man, you will, you will throw yourself headlong to Revelation and you will never get out. That's the truth. That is the absolute gospel truth because I've kind of done it this week. All right? And so you can throw yourself into that and it is difficult to find your way out. Those disciples when Jesus ascended to heaven, do you know what they, they did after Jesus ascended? This. They looked up into heaven. They were gazing into heaven, and apparently it was an embarrassing, embarrassingly long period of time because angels had to be sent to them. Hey, Hey, go get your boys. Go get your boys that you just left. Like, go get them and tell them to do what I wasn't joking. Do what I said, right? And so the angels literally went down and shooed the disciples away. They said, hey, the same Jesus that you saw go up is coming down. So get ready for him to come back. Win people to Christ. To share people. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to discern all that I've commanded. And he's with you to the end of the age. Quit looking into the clouds. And sometimes our revelation studies can become a futile attempt to look into the clouds when God has called us to look around. God has called us to eagerly anticipate his coming while we are ending lostness, while we are knowing him and making him known. Because this is the point. Thirdly and finally, this is the point. If you take away from today... All of the three eschatological systems of the millennial reign of Christ, I believe I have failed as your pastor. I believe I've failed. But listen to what Revelation 1 says, beginning in verse 1. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. John writing, 
the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known. So why did he do it? He was telling them, showing them what is going to take place. And when was it going to take place? Soon. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is, what church? Near. The very first thing John addresses, Jesus addresses through John, the time of Jesus' coming is near. Turn to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. Beginning in, ver- or in verse 7. We won't have time to get to the second one. In verse 7, listen what it says. Revelation 22, verse 7. And behold, I am coming, what? Soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Now listen. We need to keep the prophecy of this book. We need to be obedient to God and strive to be students of God's word to understand. But ultimately, the most important part of Revelation, the most important takeaway in Revelation is not understanding. I believe just like the road to Emmaus, the guys on the road to Emmaus, they had all these generations to figure out how the Messiah was going to come, what he was going to look like, how he was going to rescue them, and they were completely wrong. I think we're completely wrong. I think we, in our minds, just flat out can't comprehend it. I think John is scribbling this stuff down going, oh my gosh, they'll never believe this. They'll never understand this. But I got, I mean, you know, I, I, I truly believe that. Right? But in humility, we believe. Why? The most important in Revelation is not understanding. It's urgency. That's why he begins the book with urgency and he ends the book with urgency. He is coming quick. And they're all real ramifications. Don't spend all your time looking up into the clouds wondering when he's coming back because there are real ramifications for those who don't have a relationship with Christ that while you're trying some intellectual pursuit, there are people in spiritual condemnation. Does that make sense? This is not the point. The point is not all of these systems. The point is he's coming and we've got to be ready. We've got to be What is left for us is to know him and to make him known. This is the point. This is the takeaway from Revelation. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? As we enter a time of invitation. (laughs) As Elizabeth comes in place, I know, I know that this is a lot. I've never tried to preach an entire book of the Bible in one week, one sermon. I've tried to do that on the humdinger of all humdingers of the books of the Bible in Revelation. But I believe we can unite on things like mission, on things like purpose, on things like identity of who we are in Christ.
And I believe we'll receive well done, good and faithful servant. It's important to know what you believe and why you believe it. But it's more important that that knowledge changes you. That's what Christ offers. The Bible is unique from every other work of literature in that the Bible is not meant just to inform you. It'll inform you and you can learn. God's word is unique in that it can transform you. So if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you've heard me say your directive on earth is to know God, know Christ, and to make him known. And so if you're here and you don't have that relationship with Christ, I can think of no better way to conclude this untouchable series than for you to respond to the beautiful news that God, that Jesus died for you. He did what you couldn't do. He lived a sinless life. And then his sacrifice for you is made available to you if you will respond in faith and believe in him. That you can literally exchange your filth for his glory. So if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're the most important person in this room. I'd love to see you come and when you say amen to find this center aisle, to find me here at the front. We've got counselors who would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Christ. Maybe your directive in life has been different. Maybe you know that you have a relationship with Christ, but man, your, your priorities are out of whack. Maybe you need to realign those. Maybe this, this, this altar here at this stage is, is open for you. We even padded it to make it more comfortable for you, right? And maybe you need to come and maybe you need to intercede for somebody. Maybe you need to realign what Christ has done for you and, and, and to refocus your attention on him, on the mission that he's placed you to. And the week before school starts, I can think of no better thing for you to do. But whatever it is that the Holy Spirit would lead you to do, I pray that you would respond as we invite him to move in our hearts and our lives freely. Would you just respond? Do what he tells you to do in these next few moments. Father, have your will and way. I pray that Satan would be bound from any, any heart in our life anything that would distract or take away God I pray that you would be brought glory through it all God that we would just respond to you as your people knowing that you are glorious in that glory we're going to have to accept some idea some understanding some humility in not knowing all the answers but God you have made that glory available for us to partake of today as your children so, Father, we just pray for one that needs to respond to salvation, one that needs to grow in their walk with the Lord, needs to do business with you, needs to make another decision, whatever the case may be. Father, we love you. Be glorified in this time in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand? As we sing, whatever it is the Lord lays on your heart, pray that you would respond. I'm here. would love to talk to you. We've got counselors available. This altar is open. Would you come?
whatever decision you need to make, regardless of who's around, would you come? All my life you have been so, so. pray with me. Father, God, we love you. We, as your church, as the redeemed of the Lord, who have tasted and seen, we've experienced, we've, we've felt it with our hands, we've experienced it, we've, we've, we, we know what it's like, God, to live in union and relationship with you. God, may we not allow things in our life secondary or tertiary importance, God, to subtract from what you have called us to do as your people. May we love, may we be unified, and God, may we be intentional, God, to reach this world with your gospel that has radically transformed our life. I pray for one, God, that for whatever reason may not have responded to Lord, they'd mark that card. They'd let somebody know so that we can follow up with them. We'd love to do that. Father, we love you and we thank you for what you've done in this service. Now you've taught us through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. We've got some announcements real quick, but I do want to let you know if you are tuning in online, please check out uh, our online connect card. Let us know if you made any decision today. Uh, during this time of invitation, the time of response, let us know and we will follow up with that as well, okay? Y'all check these out and we'll be done. Good morning, North family. I've got a few announcements before we leave. North students, listen up. Our next hype night's August 15th at 5 p.m. We're doing something different this night. We'll be doing a giveaway for the boy students and the girl students that brings the most friends. We have two pairs of Aftershocks Air Bluetooth headphones that allow you to listen to music and make phone calls all while being able to hear your surroundings. This will be our first service back with the upcoming students, and we want to make it a big one. We hope to see you all there, and remember, bring a friend. Next, our Point Mallard Family Night is August 8th at 6 p.m. This will be all campuses of Lindsay Lane, all down in Decatur. Today is the last day to purchase tickets, so you can purchase those tickets in the foyer on your way out. And finally, we're offering full childcare for preschool and children during both service times. This is beginning on August 8th, and we really need some more volunteers to make this happen. Our goal is to make each service identical and convenient for everyone to attend. We cannot do it without your help, so please consider signing up for a rotation. That's all we have for today. We hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next time. All right, if you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here. Um, we do ask that, as Alan mentioned, fill out that Connect card and uh, drop it in the bucket on the right on your way out of the double doors. So this is a time of the service whenever we take up our offering. Um, there are a few different ways that we can do that. Like we mentioned, you can drop it at the bucket on your way out. Um, another way to give, if you choose to, is to text North Give to 31996. You can also give online at lindsaylanenorth.org or send your check in uh, or gift to 1300 Lindsay Lane South, Athens, Alabama. Uh, one quick announcement before we leave North students. I've been trying to get the word out, sending it through the Remind and through our services. 
We are doing a pool party tonight, a back-to-school kind of thing uh, at the Chambliss' house. That's going to be at 5 o'clock. Uh, weather permitting, we'll, we'll be doing that, but more than likely we'll be doing something either way. So y'all just uh, keep your phones on. Make sure you know. I'll send something out in the remind if it changes. If you need the address, uh, try to catch me or uh, one of the Chambliss' before you leave, and uh, we'll get that to you. But with that, that's all I've got. We hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Uh, last little bit before you go back to school. Bless your souls. And, uh, and the parents said, amen. That's right. All right. Y'all are dismissed. Have a good one.